0: To put it in perspective to, once again, the glass house, like, my thing is, the way I see it is, is we all have a reverence for that place. And, you know, there is a reverence to it all in the lines and the perfectness, and, the, and we always see it empty, don't we? But what does everyone obviously... I mean, for me, I'm like, well, where does someone have sex there? You're going to see it, and you're going to want to see it. And, like, that all of a sudden feels more like a Kubrick moment than all of a sudden it's an architectural moment. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Art Sessions One to One. I'm Amelia Taylor-Hochberg, and this week I'm speaking with Jake Jackson, CEO and Creative Director at the New York-based gay porn studio, Cocky Boys. I know what you might be thinking, why is an architecture site interviewing someone in the porn business? But Cocky Boys' role in the porn industry has a fair amount in common with architects in the building industry. Their high production value, carefully designed, sex-positive productions are considered to be something special. They see themselves as creative professionals whose products are often undervalued or unfairly pigeonholed by mainstream media when their goal in the end is to create something beautiful for humans to lead better, happier existences. Jake Jackson, in his role as creative director, is concerned with creating not only sexy films, but a sense of place that viewers can relate to and engage with. And leading with an attention to aesthetics is how Jake tries to distinguish cocky boys in a market awash with graceless utilitarian money shots. I spoke with Jake from his office in New York as part of connect special issue on sex and sexuality in architecture. So as I understand it, Cocky Boys existed before you came and bought it. It was started in 2007 and you purchased it in 2010. And at that point, the site had a very different aesthetic and artistic direction and you kind of decided to take it in your own direction. Can you describe for me how the site dictated its artistic content before you came to it and then after what direction you wanted to take it in?
0: Sure. When we first bought the site, it primarily was a site kind of dedicated to Southern California boys. Most of them were straight and it had its own sort of new, fresh aesthetic at the time. It was trying to, you know, be something more than just, you know, two guys in a bed. You know, they were really trying to, you know, kind of break a mold in and of themselves. But, you know, when we took it over, you know, myself and my partners are all gay and you know, we just had a harder time, you know, relating to just straight performers. You know, are they known as sort of gay for pay? So, you know, we we made it more of a focus to hire, you know, gay performers and work with them. And when I started to kind of engage a lot of the the new performers that we were working with, you know, they would bring to the table their creativity and their, you know, hopes and dreams and aspirations beyond just the sex industry and that inspired me. I mean, some were dancers, some were actors, some were singers. And that, you know, prior to, you know, my being a pornographer, I, I was a writer, producer and director in, in a more mainstream sense. And I just started thinking, you know, why don't we start thinking about this as entertainment and not porn? And as soon as that changed this, the, the concept of let's produce something that's entertaining first, that is highly sexualized or highly sexual, And not just trying to produce something that's a utilitarian piece of content for people to get off on. That's what caused the change. And it caused us to want to start to create, you know, larger, bigger projects beyond just, um, you know, two boys on a couch.
1: And so the bread and butter stuff is the content for the website, the videos for the website. But then you also do... Longer features is that correct?
0: Yes, I mean the 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 site is a membership site. You know, it's it's a a digital membership site. You you pay a fee every month, and we're constantly putting new content on it. You know, some of them will be more straightforward scenes that are you know you know meant to whether it's very romantic or sort of nostalgic. And then within it, we have a series. You know, like answered prayers, uh, which was a very big series for us. In fact, we're. We have a new series right now that is a mockumentary based on a, a boy band, and it's called One Erection. And um, <laughs> it's a good one. So, uh, dun, dun. Uh, so uh, you know, and you know, we we did a you know one of our our more famous series was. Uh, uh, called A Thing of Beauty, which was, you know, these very beautifully shot uh, sort of romantic, nostalgic scenes that were pieced together using uh, Walt Whitman poems. And, you know, which should, you know, was like, most people were like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> uh, so that's what, you know, we're always just trying to, you know, try something different and and new within the adult space. But, you know, it really is something that's it's kind of like it's meant to, you know, it's coming from a very a place where we're inspired and want to create, you know, just enjoy it, our, our work.
1: It's interesting you use the word utilitarian, because I think that that is kind of the base expectation and the kind of why would you ever need anything else kind of question about a lot of adult filmmaking is the idea of just like, this is here to serve a purpose. And so why would I want to invest more in, say, having it have a specific, consistent and kind of genre pushing aesthetic style when I'm like, if the presumption is that I'm just here for like one reason and one reason only, and I can get that reason fulfilled, regardless of whether that extra design touch or whatever is there. But I think it would help just because I'm going to presume that most of our audience is not specifically familiar with cocky boys content to kind of describe as you would like any film mainstream or art film or however like how would you describe the art direction and the kind of aesthetic of the films
0: wow i would say it's starting from a a romanticized nostalgic feeling it's almost like i'm trying to create the my memory of my perfect sexual experience I mean, we've all had them, you know, we've all had, I mean, hopefully, I mean, hopefully everyone has had an amazing, mind-blowing sexual experience. They can kind of go, wow, that was life, you know. And, you know, so I'm trying to, you know, recreate that for viewers so that they can watch it in a way and at the end of their experience, feel entertained, feel informed, and most importantly, not feel guilty. And, you know, so to that degree, I'm trying to create something that has a look and a feeling and an energy that it looks like quality. The, the performers look and, and you can feel like it's authentic, that they want to be there. And so at the end of the experience, you feel like, OK, that was worth it. I, that was money well spent or that was worth my time. Or I don't feel like anyone there was necessarily being exploited. And so much of that for me comes from, you know, it really is a kind of a rebellion, I guess, from my upbringing, a very, very, very religious upbringing and, you know, a very tortured adolescence and early youth about sex and my sexuality based on what I've been taught in a sort of religious sense. So I'm kind of trying to free my mind and at the same time help other people connect to, you know, the concept that, you know, sex is good. It's what made us. It's it's something, it's a part of our life. So I don't know, does that help?
1: Yeah, I, absolutely. But I think that we could also get a little bit more specific in how, because you refer to this term nostalgia. And I think that in terms of creating a creative object, like actual and creative production, that there is this kind of classic idea that creative production is like, you have a perfect experience. You have like a, an ideal, a platonic idea that exists, and you're trying to realize that in some form. And that always in whatever media and the fact that you're a person who is flawed, like in creating that object that you're adherent, you're trying to get to that ideal. There's always some compromise, but you figure out ways that in the media, you can kind of shift things around to still evoke that feeling or that ideal that you previously experienced. So I'm wondering then when you, and when you say nostalgia, I immediately think of things like Instagram, you know, like there's a filter that makes you, that either evokes that certain film production treatment that, only existed in that specific time, and therefore makes you feel like you did when you were in that time, or blah 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 blah. But so, can you point to like a specific item or a specific technique in the way that Talkie Boys films are made that kind of speaks to this creation of that experience that you're referring to?
0: Sure. I mean, my partner and I is you know he goes by R J Sebastian. In he worked as a, a model and an actor. Very successfully, you know, for many years. I mean, you know, a working actor, a working model. And I was also a successful writer producer. And one of the things that we, you know, what we found is when we started working with performers, there was immediately, once we started dealing with other customers or other people, that when their perception of porn, okay, the first thing you get is, oh, it's porn, or, you know, couldn't they do something better with their life? Or this is, you know, basically it was like, this is the, you know oh it's porn and there's a sort of a judgmental aspect to it and one of the things i found very very quickly just sort of listening to how people related and i found that a lot of people watched it and they liked it and it was a part of their experience but what happened is is they had a very dismissive reaction to the performers the performers were disposable and you know there just was this kind of you know energy towards that so what we started to do was Wanting to create an experience for the performers to where this was something that they were really, really proud of. And the best way I described it when we first started to do it was you remember the Abercrombie and Fitch catalogs?
1: Oh, yeah. Totally grew up in that era of advertising. Okay. <laughs>
0: So there was Bruce Weber shooting them all intertwined and their shirts off and they're all there and you kept flipping the pages and at any moment you thought you were going to turn the page and see full penetration, them going at it. I mean, it was literally almost there. And so the way I described what we were doing is I'm like, I want to be that page turn. (laughs) I want to be the next thing they see in that catalog. So those two boys were just leaning perfectly on each other in that Bruce Weber image well, now I want to see them kiss. Now I want to see them, you know, go down on each other. Now I want to see what they would look like, you know, if they were making love. So that's kind of, you know, that was the sort of the the, the spark of why, you know, of how these things look. And in many, many cases, you know, a lot of times people will look at some of the things that we do and it will not at all, They, you know, in fact, we had our customers sort of coin a term that said it's 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 not gay porn; it's cocky boys because it just it, it sort of lived in a in a space of its own.
1: What was that conventional? It's not gay porn. What what kind of are the stereotypes of that kind of aesthetic that they would be kind of dismissively referring to?
0: Oh, you know, just you know, how people are posed or where they were at. Uh, you know, a lot of times it's like. You know, a lot of porn was shot in overlit studios or on a neon box or on a grungy couch or, or, you know, and this was, you know, I guess really since the last 10 years. And so here we were then, you know, finding different places where they would be or, you know, they would you know, be, a, you know, a Bear Lake kind of setting, like an Abercrombie and Fitch catalog, or in a cabin in the woods, or we would shoot in Fire Island, at really, you know, beautiful, you know, chic little cabins, or then, then it started to turn into, you know, more elaborate productions. And, you know, like a thing of beauty, we we rent it, we rented out this um, resort in Tulum, Mexico, that was just literally on the, the cusp of a, you know, it's the end of the world. It was just hanging there. And this pool went, this infinity pool went out into forever. So we really just was like, you know, let's go to these places and create a, a feeling more than that sort of, you know, utilitarian, like put them in the studio and, you know, get it going. I mean, it's interesting. I, you know, Woody Allen has a, you know, there's a funny saying that he has when, you know, when asked what's the difference between porn and erotica and he goes, the, the lighting and
1: so, <laughs> with that stutter, with that perfect stutter.
0: And I was like, you know, I remember seeing that. I'm like, he's absolutely right. So we don't light our scenes. I mean, almost everything we do is natural light uh, and, you know, trying to, you know, create that, that, Feeling that just before feeling you have on maybe a Sunday morning when you're, you know, or Sunday afternoon when you're in bed with someone you love or you're flirting with or you want to be with and that just that just beginning stage of I think something's going to happen here, <laughs> you know, so. I, I hope that's making sense. Yeah, but.
1: absolutely. Uh, so you referred to also sometimes shooting like on specific locations or going out to do shoots that are then kind of built into whatever larger narrative you're drawing onto. Is there kind of a ideal, did you have like a, a fantasy site or like place or particularly like architectural site that you might be interested in, in producing something on or with?
0: Oh, I mean, the glass house. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. That I can see why. <laughs> So, but do you think that's because your audience would kind of would automatically understand the like incredible depth of historical reference to a place of architecture like that within the gay community or or just because it's a beautiful piece of architecture that your audience might otherwise appreciate?
0: You know, I think that would be something, you know, let me just say this is a very interesting, you know, we a a large part of our audience are actually women. I mean, like 30 percent of our members are women. And so we have a very robust community of people that watch our films and sort of come to our films. And. I'm always trying to interject something with the assumption that people don't know what I'm talking about or what I'm referencing or where I'm at. And with the hope that it not only is the sexual experience stimulating them or causing them to want to understand or explore, but yeah, you know, hopefully they would go, oh, what does this Bible verse mean? Or what is this Walt Whitman poem? Where's that from? I've never really studied him. So I always kind of go into it with, you know, Assuming that people don't quite, you know, they're not expecting to immediately understand my place or my setting or my meeting. And that's the fun of it is to, you know, is to stimulate you know, the multiple parts of our audience, you know, I, I call it the head, heart, head rule. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you you're, it's like a, almost a pedagogical function is like get them hooked instead of like sex sells, sex teaches or so. Yeah. Or is that too pithy?
0: Well, no, I, you're I mean, that makes it, you know, but like to put it in perspective to once again, the glass house, like my thing is, is, you know, I, the way I see it is, is we all have a reverence for that place. And, you know, there is a reverence to it all in the lines and the perfectness. And, the, and we always see it empty, don't we? Mm. And, but what does everyone obviously, I mean, we're, I mean, for me, I'm like, well, where does someone have sex there? You're going to see it and you're going to want to see it. And like that all of a sudden feels more like a Kubrick moment, <laughs> then all of a sudden it's an architectural moment.
1: Uh, I'm thinking back to a feature that we published on the site, it might have been a year or so ago. We do a, a feature where we showcase different architectural publications and we did a piece on the Farnsworth House that specifically kind of catalog the kind of sexual tension involved in the creation of that place not necessarily as one that was a pure historical treatment it wasn't as if there was something like actually really going on between Mies van der Rohe and um and Farnsworth but that just that that was taken up as something as a question in the course of a man and a woman working on a project of that stature together and mm-hmm. the fact that it is this glass thing <laughs> this is a different glass house obviously but we're just talking in terms of glass houses at this point that kind of brought in this voyeur aspect and these other parts of living that do have very charged sexual references to them. And that is something that I think in architecture is often thought of as a offhand way. Perhaps you're designing a hotel and you're thinking about people coming there and wanting to have kind of an escape and having opportunity to be intimate or however. But it's not always taken at the same level of explicitness as you might say if you were looking for sites to film porn. Right. But there's still equal amounts of significance, you would say, in in how those spaces might inform the kind of sexual experience that goes on within them. So I just, I, I'm glad you brought up that house in particular.
0: Oh, good. Well, you know, well, part of, you know, well, look, the act of porn is watching, you, you know, and so, you know, we're sitting back in the darkness or the quiet of our own room or on a computer and we're watching. And what I'm, a lot of what I'm trying to try to, to do is, is, is actually create some sort of, interactive experience by, you know, you know, like for instance, you know, most of our our series are, you know, there's 20 to 30 minutes of storytelling and acting before we get to a sexual experience. And 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 many of the features, I want it all to be completely integrated. So I feel, you know, where I set my scenes, you know, it's something I Probably way more time and way more money on than really any of my competitors because I want people to to be able to connect to that sort of sense of place and you know be able to try to almost in some ways you know replicate it.
1: So that actually brings up um, a question, a very dry question that I wanted to ask you specifically: What is the business model of Cocky Boys? I know you run on a subscription setting, but can you explain? Kind of briefly, how the business makes money.
0: Yeah, it's it, the best way to sort of describe it. It's kind of like a Netflix model. You know, you people have a membership and they can choose to, you know, have that membership reoccur as long as, you know, they can watch or download anything that's on the site. And, you know, what we're trying to do is always sort of create something new and fresh and exciting. And so, it, you know, makes people want to stay there. Beyond that, you know, that is the digital delivery aspect of it. But we also, you know, we have hard goods, you know, DVDs. We, you know, we license our content to cable channels and hotels, and um, you know, so th- there are there are many many ways to you know monetize the content.
1: And particularly in reference to your audience as well, do you have like a lot of exchange with the audience to kind of read what people are both from? your own readings of um, online metrics and such, but also just interfacing directly with the community and and talking with them about what kind of content they might like to see or or be challenged by?
0: Absolutely. I mean, we have a very robust social media presence. We encourage people to comment on the scenes as we release them. So, you know, people can always, you know, write comments on, on every film. You know, this Summer, uh, I mean, this spring, you know, there's like, we have an award show called The Grabbies, which is kind of like the the Oscars of um, gay adult. And at that event, it's in Chicago, it happens at the end of May. This will be the second year that we have our own sort of, you know, mini fan convention called (laughs) CockyCon. And, um, you know, where, you know, fans can, you know, come and directly interact with us. We've done book tours, you know, the last two years we've done, um, you know, two uh, book tours um, throughout Europe. You know, we visited uh, four or five different cities. So we're always looking for as many chances to interact with members and fans as possible. And yes, we do, you know, like to create a, an energy where we know what they like and uh, what they don't like or, you know, what they're interested in. A lot of our female fans came to us through, I, I say that through, but, you know, they were a lot of more uh, m uh, romance readers and we had produced a um a film or a series i guess maybe four years ago called the haunting which was you know uh you know about a haunted house and you know you know all these different people were experiencing these lovers from years and years ago you know trying to get back together and you know that really can a lot of people a lot of female fans came to us because it, it felt like a, a romance novel. So we were very excited and very blessed that we just was something we never under knew would existed. And so, you know, to a great, a great degree, you know, it's that kind of feedback that has fueled us to keep creating more elaborate projects.
1: So with that, that, that base, um, that audience base and and having that strong relationship, do you feel like the audience is directly responding to not just the content and not just the proclivities or, or however that you decide to work with, but specifically the actual look of the videos like it's it's a question that is maybe a little bit hard to actually answer specifically, but say if you imagined another site that might produce content exactly the same as yours but not with the same kind of attention to like the hD aspect and like natural lighting, do you think your fans and your audience would? How do you think they would respond to it? How much do you think is the fact that they're on your site based on that extra attention to those kind of technical production details?
0: Well, I think what it is, is I think at the end of the day, I think people look at the content and they have a strong sense that we care about it, that we're proud of it, that it's an authentic expression, not only from ourselves, but also the performers. Uh, You know, we can never negate the performer in any of this. I mean, I can have the most beautiful room in the world, <laughs> and you know, and it designed impeccably. But if I have two people in that space that are not able to connect in an authentic, expressive, exciting way, it will just I will always fall flat. So, you know, like I said, it's like any. I think it's like anybody's work when someone puts any kind of attention to detail or, or any kind of, you know, desire to want to deliver the best for the people who are experiencing it, that's what will make someone stay. That's what will make someone respect it. So I think it. I think it's a mutually respectful, you know, engagement. Mm-hmm. There are other sites, I mean, like Dalami, for instance, you know, once again, it, you know, they are hugely popular. They've been around for 20 years, but you can never deny the fact that, that, you know, they are not respecting their audience. They have the most beautiful boys, And once again, as they will take them to the most, you know, beautiful, opulent settings, whether it's in Greece or South Africa or throughout uh, Eastern Europe. And so once again, there is a there is a there's, a, I guess, a covenant between them and their audience that, you know, we're only going to deliver you what we think is the best.
1: And so just like an architect might or a designer would work with the client to help decide exactly what kind of how they'll interpret the program of the project or however it is. Do you work with your performers to design the sets or design the settings for the performances?
0: You know, sometimes, you know. Part of our model operation is we have exclusive performers. So we have it's, but it's almost like an old school, you know, Hollywood system where you know I worked for Louis B. Mayer and I've been at Metro <laughs> for years. You know, it's like it's kind of like that. You're with your studio, and you know, some of our performers have been with us for you know three, four, five years now. And so, what starts to happen is you as you as you work with them. You get a sense of what is exciting them and you don't want to do things that are going to bore them. So they're like, oh, I've kind of already, you know, been in this room or did this place. So you, you know, there we once again is the balance of anything is making sure we're doing something for them where they feel just as excited and just as liberated as anybody else. And the best way I can kind of describe that is. I mean, who doesn't go on a vacation or go out of town? And as soon as they get in the hotel, they're like, oh, my God, this is fabulous. And you have a new lease on life. And, you know, and people who are, you know, that's why hotel sex is fun (laughs) because it's like, this isn't my room. (laughs) It's not boring. It's not my life. It's not it's not stale. It's like we can be crazy here. We can be a little different. That is the same thing for when we're shooting. And so we're always looking for, you know, you you know, with our with our stable performers, not only, you know, constantly creating new work that challenges them and lets them excel, but also, you know, going to Fire Island or going to shoot in Paris or, you know, we shot in Berlin or, you know, like I said, we went to Mexico or, you know, always finding something unique and different that also you know, stimulates and excites them because you know look a, a nice place a nice room will always create a feeling for someone whether it's safety or comfort or you know it even can sexually energize them so you know that does become part of our balance I guess
1: and and you obviously have you have been successful and so you're not in a position where you're you know scrambling to continue or to try to build up the business in a way that is because it's threatened or so but I, I am wondering if you feel like there's some kind of axe to grind still in particularly either the porn industry or in or specifically the gay porn industry for producing content that has a certain quality such that it can kind of work to i don't want to necessarily say destigmatize because i don't think that like really the stigma around gay sex is not something that really has to be a concern anymore in in this context. I feel, I hope that at least on the internet, that that is like something that of course there is an established audience for that doesn't need to be questioned. But nonetheless, porn is still stigmatized as we've spoken before. So whether or not you feel that there's some kind of, yeah, axe to grind or things you have to kind of like actively fight against in producing work that appeals to a certain higher quality specifically to kind of work against those either expectations or stereotypes?
0: That's a great question. You know, it's interesting because I, I worked in another, you know, I, I usually kind of hate to use the word mainstream to describe like mainstream entertainment. I I see many times, I think more people have watched some of our films and see what we're doing than, you know, most cable channels, you know, -hmm. a given day. So, you know, I feel like what we are doing it, and a lot of porn is in in some ways mainstream. But, uh, you know, a lot of the people that I work with in this industry are, are really some of the best people that I have worked with ever in, in terms of being straightforward and honest and sincere. And, you know, they, they come from a good, caring place. You know, this January, I gave the keynote address to, um, you know, a convention in Vegas of 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 our part of the industry called GayVN. And, you know, one of the things I addressed at that, that, that in that speech was I feel like as an industry, we don't talk about sex. We're talking about types of porn. We're talking about niches and how do we make it and conversion ratios and the business of it but we're not talking about sex like it is oddly enough on a on a really big picture way when we get into the 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 upper echelon of the actual industry no one is talking about no one's talking about sexual health and why we do what we do, you know, and a lot of, you know, we always have to, you know, you have to always look at things, you have to step back and look at the context. I mean, you know, there was a time that this, what we produced was under the counter. It was hidden. It was illegal to have. You couldn't, you couldn't touch it. You could go to jail for, Mm. and that isn't the case anymore. And so because it isn't taboo and because it isn't wrong and it isn't bad and it not sinful you know it is completely changed the industry and and in terms of that's why a lot of people feel like well i can take it or pirate it or steal it It just they're there and it once again it gets back to my notion that because of all, all this it has become disposable i mean we people watch it and gobble it up very quickly and then they're done with it and what we're trying to do with our company is not change the way people think or feel about porn, but to really change the way people feel and think about sex. And I think, you know, that is probably a really big issue for just generally in America. Uh, You know, I, I fundamentally have a huge problem with the fact that, you know, we have no problem broadcasting the most violent, you know, acts, you know, on network TV in prime time, but we can't and get, we can't see any sort of sexual activity or we can't talk about sex. Or we can't, I mean, it's starting to lessen a little more, but it's still stigmatized. So I, you know, if I had an ax to grind, it was, I, I wish more pornographers would connect to the fact that we are able now, that, that there really is the possibility, a genuine possibility that the porn that we produce actually has a purpose. And in helping people, you know, unscramble the insanity in their head of what they've been taught about sex, whether it's wrong, whether it's sinful, whether it is an abomination or whatever the case is. And I think that we have the power to do that through our work.
1: Has your work with Cocky Boys also directly influenced how you design your own space in your own personal life and your own, I mean, I I understand you're obviously not an architect, but in how you conceive of your own spaces and your own experience of the built environment has working in this particular industry and producing this kind of content changed your own personal life in that regard?
0: Absolutely. With 100%. I mean, you know, like I said, I grew up in a very religious upbringing in New Orleans, in South Louisiana. Uh, I grew up, you know, I'm, I'll be 44 um, on Sunday. You know, I, every, every night you know, I'd sit at the table with my mom and my dad, and uh, the news would be on about the age crisis. And my mom, I mean, literally, I just remember vividly, you know, turning to me, as you know, like, do you know these men are receiving God's punishment, and do you know how they've got this disease? They had anal sex with each other, and at that time, I was starting to become at the age where I was attracted to men, and I was stealing underwear ads and you know, out of gQ and and, you know, and all of a sudden I'm like, ah, I'm marked for death. And that fundamentally changed, you know, how I then, you know, move forward into uh, college and, you know, you know, being a liar about who I was and my sex and my everything. Well, you know, most people people who understand I live in a, a polyamorous relationship. There are three of us. You know, at the end of the day, according to my mom, I, you know, I'm a polygamous pornographer and so I am, you know, <laughs> I am the, the loud end. and proud. Right. Boom, forget about it. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm very proud about what I do. I, like I said, I I've created an environment. I, you know, we live in a compound where we also shoot in, you know, a beautiful beautiful space and Everybody comes into my environment and comes into what we're doing. The, you know, I want them to be proud of who they are and what they do. And most importantly, it's like, look, we only live for today. We, you know, if you can live, you know, and uh, love yourself and be mutually respectful to everyone around you, there is no reason why we can't have, you know, a nice life. And I, I do believe that, you know, one of the things that creates so much upset in people's lives is sex. You know, they lie about it. They lie about who they are uh, to it. They have guilt about it or they may have been taught, you know, for years and years and years about who they are is wrong and how they're having sex is wrong. Or we have body conscious issues. Of, am, I, am I good enough? Am I, you know, am I lean enough? Oh, I think I'm fat or I don't like where my hair is or I'm getting old or whatever. These are all things that I want to help people sort of strip away, just chip away at all of that and, you know, start to see by, you know, watching erotic content in a way that is makes them feel like, God, that's beautiful. That is there's nothing wrong with that. And it just feels natural. It feels safe. It feels like they're respecting each other. It feels authentic. So a lot of times it's funny because we are in a polyamorous relationship. I, you know, people will say, well, how does it work? Do you all sleep in the same bed? Or, you know, what's who's doing what? And I just always tell people, I say, "If you want to know what my sex life is like? Watch my films. Because you will see what I find to be worth celebrating. And you'll see how and what I like sexually. And I'm kind of an open book that way.
1: Well, I appreciate that, and I'm so glad we got the chance to talk. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and happy birthday.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Archonnex Sessions One-to-One with Jake Jackson of Cocky Boys, part of Archonnex's special issue on sex and sexuality in architecture. Dani Lavoinov edits the podcast, and Matt Skillings composed our music. Myself and Paul Petrunia are the producers of One-to-One. New episodes come out every Monday. Make sure to not miss an episode by subscribing to us on iTunes. And if you like the podcast, please consider leaving us a review. Chances are you already know about our other podcast, Archonnect Sessions, which focuses on news and editorial. But if not, that airs every Thursday. Keep your ears open for it. You can keep up with podcasting news from Archonnect on Twitter through at ArchSessions or hashtag Archonnect Or you can email us through connect at archonnect.com. Thanks again for listening to One to One.